<laughs> I, I basically said, I'm not touching my phone until I've finished 10 or 15 minutes of just like, just me time to start the morning. Welcome back to the Faculty Factory Podcast, friends. This is Kim Skorupski, and you've tuned in to our special session of the Triple H, the Habits and Hacks from Hopkins. And on today's episode, we have Dr. Andrew Paul Demidovich. Andrew, how are you doing today? Doing great. Thank you, Kim. How are you? I'm good. I'm so excited to have you on. I'm sitting here looking at your lovely picture, and I remembered your smiling face from the Junior Faculty Leadership Program, so I'm especially pleased to see you and hear your voice. Why don't you start by telling people who you are and what you do here at Hopkins? Sure. So I am the Chief of Inpatient Endocrinology here at Howard County General Hospital, and then I'm also adjunct faculty. I'm an assistant professor of medicine at the Division of Endocrinology, Diabetes, and Metabolism. Now tell folks um, who are listening to the podcast, what is Howard County Hospital and why? I thought she just said this is Hopkins and what is Howard Hospital? Where is that? What does that have to do with Hopkins? Can you just give people a brief background of the different hospitals we have, or at least where you are right now? Sure. And and I think also I'll kind of jump into the unique position that I have, which is probably pretty different than a lot of people who are faculty members. But so, yeah, so first, Johns Hopkins right now consists of five different hospitals, including all the outpatient centers. But amongst their hospitals, they have two major academic centers, which is JHH or Johns Hopkins Hospital, and then kind of JHBMC, or the short is Bayview, both of which are located in Baltimore. And then they have three community hospitals. The one that I work at is Howard County General Hospital, which is located in Howard County, appropriately named so. And then there's Suburban Hospital, which is the Hopkins Community Hospital in Montgomery County. And then the last one is Sibley, which is located in Washington, D.C. And Howard County is, those of you who may be familiar with the Baltimore region, is in Columbia, which is a western suburb of Baltimore. About 20 minutes to get there from downtown. It's a lovely area. Yeah, I love it. I I really do. I love it a lot. And how long have you been here with us, Andrew? Just over two years. Although I was actually moonlighting as a uh, regular hospitalist at Suburban Hospital for probably an extra four years on top of that. So technically, if you look me look me up on the books, I'm probably a Hopkins employee for six years, but full-time uh, inpatient endocrinologist for two. That's wonderful. So what what kind of habits or routines or processes or little hacks do you have that you wanted to share with the listening audience today? As I kind of briefly touched upon is that a, my position is, is kind of a unique one in that being the chief of inpatient endocrinology at a community hospital, I'm not full-time employed by school of medicine. And therefore, really, the powers that be want me to be more focused on quality improvement as well as quality delivery, patient satisfaction for patients with diabetes and other endocrinological disorders within Howard County General Hospital. But That being said, it's not just going and seeing the patients, although that's, of course, a large part of it, but it's also taking a look at how systems are being run within the hospital and how we can improve those systems. And then on top of that, I think, as with many people at Johns Hopkins, I do have a a true passion and enjoyment to do research. But for me, it's not my main job description rather it's it's more kind of a, a side gig right. if you will but so just another another hat to wear another ball in the air to juggle right right so how do you manage those interests where that 
that primary thrust is in patient care? Because, you know, despite that not being your primary appointment or your, your mission, like a lot of clinicians, they may be 60, 70% clinical effort and, or even less, and they're trying to fit in their, their research and their scholarly pursuits. And so, you, despite the, the split or the proportionate effort in these things, it's still obviously a challenge for you to do excellent work in, in both those areas. So how, how do you manage excellent patient care and being innovative and being involved in your patient's um, health management, but then also pursuing scholarship? How, how, what are, you know, what are you doing that's making you so successful? Yeah. Um, well, I actually, I, I do have to say that that uh, your teaching was really instrumental in this, and uh, so I'm, I'm forever grateful for your junior faculty leadership program. And and really, one of the things, the big takeaways that I took from you was to set aside short bits of time, but every day, or the reality of the situation is sometimes every day doesn't work, <laughs> but even if you can make it three days a week or something like that, but really try to make it just untouchable to, wow. to really make it dedicated for that. And so I've structured my day in such a way to, to allow myself to give myself short bits, because I think that was one of the best advice that you gave is that you don't need to sit two, three, four hours mm-hmm. to write a manuscript because you're never going to get that time. And so you might end up only having one day a month, if that, to actually sit down for four hours. But if you sit down, set aside a half hour a day, that's much more tenable, realistic. And then every single, the following day, all those things that you were talking about is still really fresh in your head, but you can kind of jump right back into it. And yet a half hour is very reasonable to, to take to do your scholarly pursuits. Oh, I'm so glad that 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 resonated with you. So yeah, your the WAGS concept, the writing accountability groups, gets to that old whole idea of writing with increased regularity or increased frequency, but shorter durations, which you're saying is sustainable. And I'm so glad that works for you. I mean, that's that to me was a huge epiphany when I came out of when I was a junior faculty member, thinking, oh my gosh, I need that half day, whole day. And like you said, when, especially clinicians, oh my gosh, those days are, if you ever had them, they're, they're you're never going to get them again where you have huge chunks of time. But yeah, I'm so glad that, that, that you've figured out how to do that. So many people, when I teach them the WAGs or I give the WAGs talk and I say, just 20 minutes a day or every other day or three days a week, they're like 20 minutes, 10 minutes. What can you do in 10 minutes or 20 minutes? So, <laughs> so why don't you tell everybody, you know, Andrew, what is, what are you how can you, how does this work for you? What does that look like for you doing short little snippets of time? Yeah, sure. So, so just to kind of take you through a normal day is basically the first thing I do uh, after waking up is 15 minutes of yoga, which has nothing to do with what we're talking about. But I really think that exercise and kind of stretching and just getting your body kind of almost like loosened up and happy allows for your brain to get loosened up and happy. So I find that incredibly useful and important. And then I actually do. I love love the idea of a brain being loosened up and happy versus waking (laughs) up and looking at the emails and my brain being all tight and crunchy and mad. (laughs) Yeah, I know, right? Because that's the first thing that we want to do is like, as soon as you wake up, like our first instinct is horrible, but it's like, look on your dresser and basically pull up your cell phone and see, you know, who's texted you, what emails are in there. And I've kind of, I basically said, I'm not touching my phone until I've finished like 10 or 15 minutes of just like, just me time to start the morning. Because I know the chaos is is happening soon. I've got two little ones. I've got a five month old at home who, you know, his his internal alarm clock is incredibly sporadic. (laughs) And then a two year old. So, which is, I mean, they're lovely, but... A five-month-old yeah. and a two-year-old? 
Yeah. Oh yeah, my yeah. God bless you. Oh, well, yeah. th- th- this is making this even more, your wisdom even more valuable because I know there's so many junior faculty members out there now, especially during the whole COVID thing, who are trying to build a clinical practice and build a research agenda and have little kids and they're homeschooling and dealing with daycare and, and babysitters and nannies and partners. And it's just so, so go on. I don't want to take any more time, but so I love the loosening up and make having a happy body, happy brain. So I love this <laughs> 10, 15 minute start. Go on. Yeah. And then, and then unfortunately, and then, well, you know, fortunately, unfortunately, and then I basically jump on the computer and I quickly take a look at uh, first emails, anything important that needs to be uh, addressed quickly. And then I pre-round on my patients. So I just quickly take a look because I'm only inpatient. So I don't have clinic patients. I basically have people that are almost sitting there, uh, a rapt audience waiting for me to see them. So I quickly pre-round on them and see any adjustments, any sugars, any insulins. And then I kind of go do family stuff and kind of getting prepared for work, including, you know, waking up the kids and feeding my daughter and, and everything else like that. But when I fast forward, once I get to work around uh, a little after nine-ish, I actually, again, because it's it's a unique situation that, that it probably doesn't equate to a lot of people that might be listening, but then I take a half hour to an hour, depending on how crazy the service is. And that's admin stuff. So that's not research stuff, but that's admin stuff. So I almost did like a quick pre-scan of emails at 6.15, 6.30. And then I kind of really dig into quality improvement stuff or other finances of the endocrine program, things that are not clinical, but that might not be directly research related. And can you and just then, can you pause there a second, Andrew? How does that look like for you? So, do you literally run through your emails and only open the ones that are at? So you're telling your brain, okay, okay, happy loose brain. Now we are looking <laughs> at the admin related work, and you 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 discipline yourself to only engage in that kind of activity during that half hour, hour, hour and a half. Yeah, well, so what I've, what I've decided to do, you know, because the problem is, is that emails are a real, not only time suck, but, but actually like energy suck, ATP suck, because every single time you see an email that pops up on your phone or mm-hmm. on Outlook or whatever, even on your computer, it's a, a distraction and it takes time and energy to kind of like circle back to what was I originally yeah. doing or thinking about. So, so actually when I'm at my computer, it's, it's either emails or not emails. And so I literally will actually close Outlook yeah. <laughs> uh, if I'm not dealing with email stuff because those little pop-ups are just, yeah. you know, they're just hardly annoying. And they're also this, they just, they're like a hook. They're like, come on, answer me. Come on, answer yeah, me. Stop whatever is. you're doing. Yeah. And, and then you just, you just end up being really inefficient. And I found, if I just dedicate the times to answering emails. And so it's almost, I don't know if, I don't know if people have already accepted it or, or are expecting it from me, but basically I answer emails three times a day and that's it. It's, it's at six thirty in the morning at like between nine and 10. And then at the end of the day around five or 6 PM. And, and then that's it. You know, that's, those are the times where I mean, answering emails. So that way I can be fully engaged in whatever else I'm doing. Well, that is such an important Super, super important. I've been saying that for years, you know, we train people how to treat us. And so once we get ingrained in our own habits, we train other people 
to treat us the same way. So, so if I have an expectation of I will be doing this and then I will be doing that, just as you're saying, if people know that they can trust you to check and respond to emails during these certain times and he will, and they see that, that they will then kind of back off on that urgency, emergency kind of way of thinking of, but I, did you get my text? Did you get my email? Yeah, it, I just got it. So like wanting that immediate kind of feedback. So. I love that you've done that. I've been talking about that for years to even be so bold as to put it in your signature file in your emails. Mm. I check and respond to emails at this time, this time, or I don't check and respond to emails on Fridays. And just, you know, I, I encourage people to test it out, of course, run it by your superiors first and, you know, say, I want to try something. Will you, you know, humor me for a couple of weeks and see if this works for me? But I think that you've done that is just it's an easy thing. It's brilliant. And it really frees you up from that mania and the constant anxiety of, like you said, it's, it's Pavlovian. We see and hear and feel the buzzing, dinging lights going off, pop ups and the adrenaline just kind of boink. I, I'm, I'm sure if we all had, you know, salivary cortisol test during the day when that would <laughs> off, you know, we'd be through the roof. I had a friend or so I was yeah. talking to somebody, I think on the podcast and he said he got a Fitbit. That would, mm-hmm. uh, his emails would come through and he finally had to like either disable yeah. that function or throw it away because he's like, I thought I'd be so efficient. It just freaked me out because constantly all day long his, his wrist was going off, but he's like, I can't believe <laughs> He's like, it was making me nervous. Yeah. It's, it's, it's not only, it's like, it's both simultaneously being anxiety provoking, but also addictive. Yeah. Because you can, you get a sense of accomplishment every single time you respond to an email. It's like you get that little yeah. serotonin or dopamine surge, like, ah, I, I completed something. But unfortunately, at, at the cost of pulling you away from other things that are more important. And that, that thing, that email could have definitely just, it almost never has to be responded to immediately. It can almost always wait three hours. You are so right. So that's like, that's, that's the main way that I, that I schedule my day. And then, and then writing, I basically, plan three days a week after the kids are in bed. So basically, it's around 9 to 9.30 is my writing time. And I think the biggest, most important thing is having clear communication and expectations with my wife. (laughs) So so not only does she know and expect, but also, you know, to kind of so that there's no misunderstandings. She doesn't need help with anything. There's no household projects like, uh oh, by the way, the fridge is out and we need to find a new fridge online or, or you know, whatever else, or, or she needs help studying or something like that. That it's when expert, I, I think, I feel like that's the easiest way to avoid uh, disappointment and, you know, uh, negative emotions is when everyone's kind of expectations are, right. are already set and lined up and you go, okay, so all I need is this half hour again from nine to nine thirty. Monday, Wednesday, Friday, you know, or if Wednesday's no good, fine, babe, you know, no problem. We can do whatever Wednesday. We can relax. But then on Thursday, I just need that half hour. And then after that, I'm yours. But I just need that half hour. Just please. Again, setting clear expectations and then managing that. And then it helps you manage other relationships as well. So again, back to the whole training people to treat us that we, we not only train ourselves, and developing habits that are healthy for us. But then once we get into that, we model that or that that sense of um, routine or predictability 
is good for other people then so that they, again, have that assurance and they don't, they don't have the anxiety of like, oh, I don't know when he's going to come out of this rabbit hole. I don't know when he, he's so unpredictable. You can't even tell with this guy. You know, to me, that, that allays that concern of, like you said, it's just this and then that. While also, I imagine, as you, as you kind of alluded to, having some degree of flexibility that you're not so completely locked into this that we have to be nimble sometimes, but that, yeah. That, I mean, that's what my kind of my conflict with habits is, is I don't, because I'm a high J in the Myers-Briggs, I'm very structured agenda. I'm one of these really regimented persons. So I don't, I, I struggle with this idea of becoming so militaristic in a schedule and trying to be more spontaneous, but recognizing the value in the the structure, like especially during COVID when, you know, everything went wonky and so many people were stuck at home and kids at home. And, and one of the yeah. recommendations you heard was, you no, know, have a routine. You know, the kids have to get up and they have to put clothes on and they have to brush their teeth. And you can't, you know, the first couple of weeks, yeah, it's cute. We're all in our pajamas. But then they're like, wait a minute, we got, <laughs> you got to have a routine. This is just crazy pants, you know? So th- there's value to both sides, I guess is what I'm saying. That this you've demonstrated yeah. to me that the structure it helps with the managing expectations and helps everybody, not only you, to develop good habits that are productive that you can sustain, but also helps your staff, your colleagues, your wife know and have a sense of certainty or just safety and security, knowing that he goes here and he does that. He comes, he goes, he's in, he's out, and everybody can exhale. Yeah, I, yeah, exactly. I mean, I 100% agree with you. And I think that, again, to your point of, or, or earlier point of, of having kind of shorter times where you're writing is really logistically realistic and beneficial. Because again, if it's, you know, I tell my wife, okay, you know, I just need from nine to nine thirty, or sometimes, you know, might creep to, to even to 10 o'clock, but that's it. You know, like, that's it. You know, like, and, and sometimes if it is, it's just like, babe, I just need nine to nine thirty. then she knows then if she needs help with something that I am then available for her. It's not like I need tonight to write and I might be writing till 1am, which is what I used to do back in the day. Uh, you know, I would just try to find like, finally, I have a night where I can just go and like you said, just go fall down this rabbit hole. And then I'm kind of stumbling into bed at like one, two in the morning. This way, it's much more sustainable and, and realistic. And she knows when I will be back and available. And and at the same time, I think by setting the time at nine o'clock, once the kids are asleep, I'm not sacrificing kids time. I'm not, you know, fighting, like trying to set it at 6 p.m. or something like that, or yeah. five after the patients are seen. But before dinner time, that's also just unrealistic because there's too many variables that are at play at that point in time right. in the day. And it sounds like I, I can easily see that during, as faculty members throughout, of course, our natural lives, we have different seasons of life. And so I'm imagining people listening to this might be like, well, my kids are teenagers or Um, my kids of, you know, I'm an empty nester, I'm later in my career. But the basic principles to me, or what makes sense is that we set for the season of life you're in. So clearly, this works for you. And there's, we could have a whole other conversation about like circadian rhythms. And we talk about (laughs) in the wags of some people, it's like they say, I'm going to wear right every morning, you know, from six to 630 in the morning. And then you realize, but I'm not a morning person. I don't like to get up (laughs) early. Or like someone says, I'm going to run every morning. But you know, they hate mornings, and they don't have running shoes, and it's too cold. And so like, don't set yourself up for defeat. So the idea that this, you have figured out, you've taken the time to figure out through your, you know, starting from your morning, you know, loosening and happening 
happy, happy eating, whatever that word, yoga time, <laughs> to your admin time, to your writing time, you figured it out that this works for you now, recognizing that when the kids are in school or post-COVID or, you know, whatever, that this can shift. But then you have the confidence of knowing, okay, this too shall change. Now we have to set a new structure, or I got a big grant, or now I'm doing this, or my my clinic has grown and I've got to do that. So that the being being able to pivot and then make a new routine is obviously something that you can do, right? Yeah, and I and I think also to your point is that this has been an iterative process. It's not like I just it just came up with this and it worked on day one is I was experimenting with a lot of different other times. I know that my mentor had recommended that I, that the mornings are the best to write because everyone else is asleep. And so I tried doing that like, wake, you know, one of my best friends also, same thing. He wakes up, I think at four or four thirty in the morning to kind of get a lot of his both writing and admin stuff done. So like I tried, I tried that. I tried to wake up at five and getting the cup of coffee out and getting the computer out and I hated it and it was miserable. And I think after the second time, I'm like, this is not me. I'm not a morning person. I cannot yeah. do this. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that honesty is so important. And that's a such a critical thing of uh, making new habits is that you, what's this quote, to, to, um, to improve, we should compare little things, but to be miserable, compare big things. So the idea is if I want to compare myself to some Nobel laureate, and I'm going to look at all their papers and books and grants and all their awards. If I want to be really miserable, I'm going to compare myself on those big things. But if you want to improve your life, compare little things. So these little tweaks, and that's why I love in, in WAGs when you meet with you know your colleagues, your fellow WAGers, you learn little like, oh, that's an interesting idea. Oh, I could try that. Maybe I will try you know, putting a little bit of lemon in my water. Maybe I'll drink more water if I had a lime in it, whatever. So you kind of pick up little things and that's how we, we improve. So I, I like that you, that you're honest with that fact of, no, you know, that doesn't work for me. That sounded interesting. I, I was kind of enticed by that, that she does this or that and that works for her. But you know what? No, not working. And you don't give up. That's a whole point. You know, you, a lot of people collaborate in their own defeat. You know, so learn not to do that. That John Gardner quote, he says that. Do you collaborate in your own defeat? A lot of people do. So learn not to. So the idea of like, well, I tried what she said to do and it doesn't work for me. So meh, you know, I'm not going to do it. <laughs> so no, you're like, no, okay, next. What else would work? I think that's what's so wonderful about your podcast is, you know, you're seeing that different people do things differently. And, and all of us just by hearing these snippets, is, you know, even if you can take one snippet away and say, oh, that's a neat idea. I'll try that. And, and if it works, then great. But yeah, everybody's different. That's what makes the world so fun and beautiful and interesting. Oh, I so agree with you. Wow. It's great stuff. Well, did you want to share anything else with us for parting thoughts oh. or are you good to go? Uh, again, I'm, I'm really forever grateful and thankful for, for you and, and a lot of your tips that have really uh, helped me in my career so far and kind of it's it's been i found a lot of your education very valuable so thank you that's that's very very kind not necessarily very kind though and i I, (laughs) uh, folks listening uh, you've been learning from dr andrew demidovich and he is a one of our wonderful junior faculty members here at hopkins if you're ever in the howard county area check him out but I love the loosening up and getting our bodies loosened up and happy. Uh, yoga, 10, 15 minutes in the morning, setting aside very discreet periods of time to do X. And in, in Andrew's case, it's his admin work. 
and then a half hour, maybe an hour, two, three days a week on, on the writing. Um, that is just, it's just a wonderful example of how you've been able to be nimble and trial and error, figure out what works for you. So Andrew, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate you. Thanks for tuning in to Faculty Factory Podcast. The mission of the Faculty Factory is to build and support a community of leaders in faculty development who share tools, resources, wisdom, and encouragement in service to our faculty members, schools, and institutions. We encourage you to go to facultyfactory.org to find out more, get in touch with me, ask me any questions. Maybe you want to be interviewed on the podcast. Thanks for tuning in to Faculty Factory Podcast. We'll see you next time. The Faculty Factory podcast and website is sponsored by the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine Office of Faculty. For more information, visit facultyfactory.org.